Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, saucy raconteur, self-styled fiction guru and part-time fretter. If you're new round these parts, and indeed even if you're an old salt propping up the bar, so accustomed to my lilting tones that they sound like the gentle rush and crash of the tide, this is a show about fiction writing with two central objectives. One, to help you write more and better, and two to help you feel happier while you do. This weekend just gone, Death of a Thousand Cuts passed the 100,000 listens mark for the lifetime of the podcast. It may be an arbitrary milestone, but that is a lot of people spending a lot of time listening to my voice as I talk about writing and adverbs and feeling frightened and small. Rather than gush about how grateful I am, I'd rather express my gratitude by giving you a strong episode full of practical advice that you can immediately apply to your own writing. This is the crux of it. This is what it's all about. The value of anything I say on this podcast can be judged via those two, actually three criteria I just mentioned. Does it help you write more? Does it help you write better? Does it help you feel better about doing it? And of course, you're just pleased to see me. There's that. Oh, goodness. Here comes lovely Timmy C again, like a scruffy rescue dog. Don't you just want to take him home, wrap him in a tatty blanket and feed him scraps of Belgian waffle under the table? Because sometimes it feels... As if almost anything is better than the uncomfortable, icky mess of writing and not doing it quite as well as you'd like. I'm working on a new novel at the moment. In fact, I've got at least four in my head in various stages of ripeness, which is kind of its own conundrum. And so the big thing for me right now is going from the sexy, alluring, sparkly wonder of an idea, which is always so pure and fecund into the complicated, non-linear, challenging and sometimes deeply disappointing process of translating all that into actual human words. I've seen it said in many places that the distance between your brain and the screen is the longest, shortest distance in the world. And and it can feel like that. I rambled a few episodes about the gap, the space between what you mean to write and what actually comes out. And because the cycle of writing novels is so long, sometimes months, sometimes years, and there's so much to consider, it's easy to forget stuff you already learned. You gain and lose wisdom. You know, being an author is like trying to hold an entire Christmas dinner in your mouth at once, like some weird festive hamster. It's almost impossible. And this is the whole basis of my creating the Couch to 80k writing bootcamp. If you haven't tried it out yet, it's an entire eight-week course. You can go on to uh, up your game in writing fiction. It's suitable for beginners and it's suitable for people who've been writing for bloody yonks. It's supposed to get you to exit velocity basically to fill your brain with a lot of knowledge in a relatively short space of time so you can pounce and finish that novel but we always need to come back to basics and remind ourselves of the best way forward especially once you've started a new project and you hit that killer stretch between 5,000 and 30,000 words where you're nowhere near halfway and the first structural issues become apparent and your own inadequacies as a stylist and dramatist are staring at you in the face and you have to make a decision do I keep going Is doing so wise persistence or is it delusion? I'm going to give you a chunked down, summarised, lightning quick blast of the core principles to remember to help you on that journey. And full disclosure, this is as much for me as it is for you. That's probably always true of this podcast. I wanted to make an episode full of meat and potatoes, fundamental first draft philosophy, so I and you can come back whenever we're feeling fuddled and dismayed and plug into the shit that will help us solve the case because a lot of it is just about picking a line and going with it right 
motivation partly arises out of trusting that the thing you're doing will lead to a good result, that it's worth your effort. And if you don't believe that, if your self-confidence is low and you think putting all this effort in isn't going to result in anything good, then it's not very surprising, is it, that you won't be able to motivate yourself to write. And you may conclude falsely that you're not writing because you're lazy. It's funny how so many people are so quick to jump to laziness rather than I don't think I can do it. And so I'm making a rational, conscious, logical choice. And then you, because you think you're lazy, it lowers your self-confidence even more, which makes you even more convinced you're lazy because you're not as motivated. Repeat until crying. So today I'm going to give you uh, a my writer's, my first draft survival kit. It's going to be a 10-part survival kit to get you through the first draft of your novel. And it doesn't matter where you are in the cycle now, because this will always come back to be useful when you start a new novel. So I have one small request for you, a pledge, a blood pact, if you will. Once this episode is finished, once you're done listening, will you join me in doing 10 minutes of creative writing, please? You can do it on any subject you like. You can try writing a scene from your novel. You can write in the first person in an imaginary character's voice. You could make a list of a fictional character's fictional ex-partners with names, places they had sex and reasons for breakup. I, All I ask is that what you do is creative and that you write for 10 minutes. Actually, all right, fuck it. I'm, I think I'm just going to stick a 10-minute timer at the end of this episode and... I'll write along with you. I wasn't planning on doing an exercise, but I, I think they've done pretty well in the Couch 80K. We might as well occasionally have them on the show. Uh, so um, I'll just put a... Yeah, I'll we'll just do 10 minutes. Um, You'll probably hear furtive scribbling and a, the occasional sniff because I'll do it too. I'll write along with you just to prove that I mean what I say and because I'd quite enjoy it. Um, If you don't have a pen and paper or laptop near you right now, either go and grab something. You can just pause... I mean, and anything is fine. A pencil on the back of an envelope is fine. A sticky note. You could use your phone and just tap it into notes. It doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is you and I, we're writers and uh, writers help each other. And we're going to turn up at the page together and we're going to write. Is that OK? Uh, you probably didn't expect this, but uh, if you keep listening, that's the deal I'm asking. We're just going to do 10 minutes at the end of this. Cool. Okay. Here's the stuff you need to remember. One, you're allowed to give up. You're not writing for your publisher. You're not writing to impress an agent. You're not writing to get laid. You're not writing to get accepted. You're not writing to win prizes. You're not writing to get rich. You're not writing to escape your shitty job. You're not writing to escape your lonely relationship. You're not writing so you can like yourself. You're not writing to escape death. You're not writing to feel more like a writer and you're not writing to feel more like a human. There are few true obligations in this life. That's what makes your choices of who you love, who you spend your time with, what you choose to work on, meaningful and deeply valuable. That's why the fact that you're here listening now, giving me some of your time, that's why that's something I'm really grateful for and I don't take it lightly. You don't have to write. You can stop. And having stopped, you can start again at any time. You don't owe anyone a book, a page, a sentence. Not even yourself. This might feel like a dangerous, even terrifying thought to entertain. You're allowed to quit. You're allowed to walk away. And that's not that's not a, a, like a wanky dare. It's not a test of your loyalty. I'm not going to say, still here, good, you passed. 
you're a writer. There's no shame in not writing. There's no failure in it. Life has so many paths to fulfilment and so many ways you can contribute. And the central way is to be a human, alive, now. Which you are. All these jokes that writers make about chaining yourself to the desk, about making yourself write, be careful. Be oh so very careful. Because making writing something that restricts your liberty, rather than recognising it as an expression of it, will breed resentment. It will poison writing for you. Two, challenges, not obligations. I've talked about getting yourself a wall calendar and giving yourself a big lovely tick each day. You do 10 minutes writing. If you like, you can go to a stationer's or online and buy some graph paper. Mark words along the x-axis and days along the y-axis and pop a little cross on it each time you do some writing so you can watch that word count creeping up. You don't have to be working on a novel. It can just be, I did this many words this month. That's cool. It's a way you can see and celebrate your many achievements. Just before I had a mental breakdown, I, I took a data entry job at Norwich Union. They brought me into this department called Deaths and sat me down at my computer. On the left hand side of the screen was a bar showing how much work I'd done that day. And on the right hand side was a second bar constantly ticking upwards showing how much work I had to be doing to be on target. I remember looking at that screen and that second bar on the right slowly creeping upwards and I felt a cold, hollow numbness in my chest. It sent a clear message. You are always falling behind. Don't try and shame and scold yourself into productivity. Don't create daily or weekly word count targets that make you feel like crap if you don't hit them. Challenges, not obligations. Don't set a time limit and reward yourself when you hit your target. Say, when I reach 10,000 words, I'm going to mark it on my calendar with a big shiny sticker and I'm going to buy myself a Yorkie and I'll take a lovely walk around the park. And you get that. Whenever you reach the 10,000 mark, be it in a week, in a month, in a year. And you may say, eek, Tim, I need a deadline. I need a failure condition. No, you don't. That strategy isn't working for you. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this little talk now, would we? You know, sure, it, 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 it may sometimes create Have you ever had like an addiction to burst production, right? That feeling that you can produce only under pressure. Sure, like giving yourself those deadlines may occasionally create these quite thrilling and sometimes exciting flurries of productivity. But overall, I'm just asking you, I might be wrong, but ask yourself honestly, is it working for you right now, the way you motivate yourself? Are you able to produce and write in a way that doesn't create sadness and anxiety and at a quality that you feel happy with. Because if not, your current tactic is a bad tactic. Here's why. Three, short-term goals, not long-term visions. There are two types of motivation. Towards motivation, where we're motivated to undertake behaviours we believe will lead to positive outcomes and away from motivation, where we're motivated by behaviours we believe will help us avoid negative outcomes. It's carrot and stick, right? In my experience, writers are 
far quicker to wield the stick than the carrot. And the stick often comes in the form of guilt, shame, insulting yourself, withdrawing from pleasurable activities like seeing friends or watching TV or punishing yourself when you do do those pleasurable activities in such a way that they don't bring the relief you wanted. So you have no real downtime at all anymore, which I don't know about you, but part of me always thinks, and I feel this voice and it's such a strong and compelling and seductive Jafar-like voice that, 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 that says, well, look, Tim, if that's what it takes to get this book finished, if you have to go through a rough time, if you have to withdraw from seeing your friends, if you have to be a bit shitty to yourself, if that will get the book finished, accepting that temp temporary discomfort, I'll take it. I want to write this book. In the end, it's a net positive, right? I'll have done something that means a lot to me. I'll feel happy, proud. I'll have pushed myself over the hump. Except it doesn't work like that. Like, both away from and towards motivation are most powerful when the outcome we want to avoid or attain feels close and probable. If you're standing on railway tracks and a train is coming at you, Death is close and probable, and for most people, that would provide strong away-from motivation. You'd take action to step off the tracks. If someone you're very attracted to says, come back to my place and I'll gladly smooch you. I'm, I'm sorry that so many of the examples and metaphors I'm using in this episode are uh, seem to have a slightly... Uh, uh, greasily erotic uh, undertone to them. I'm, I'm not trying to be creepy. It's just obviously that's where my mind is at at the moment. But look, if someone says, come back to my place and I'll gladly smooch you, it's not hard to find the energy to climb the steep hill at the top of which lies their softly lit smooching room. But these are forms of motivation that are far less effective when the outcome is far away and less certain. You will have probably have found this with the biggest towards motivation in writing, which is I'll have a published book, a finished story, or I'll be a professional author. Wow. What a powerful, exciting, compelling, sexy goal, right? Except it's far away and not at all certain. You might get published. You might not. You might not even finish. You don't know. So it's a nice thought. It's a pleasant fantasy. I've indulged in it, certainly, but it's not actually compelling. It compels your attention, but it doesn't compel action because it requires action. Sure, of course, you say, well, you have to write the book before you can become a published author. Yes, it requires action, but it doesn't require action from us now. Similarly, if you're away from motivation is I'll have to continue doing a job I hate or I'll feel unfulfilled or I'll have fa failed. Those are vague, abstract failure conditions, many of which you may be living with already, right? And they're not urgent. They won't definitely descend if you don't do this specific bit of writing today, especially if you believe actually that some of your writing is a bit crap, that you're not in the mood, that you don't know what to do next. Um, actually working on your writing doesn't have any definite and obvious effect. At best... Those away from motivations inflict this free-floating feeling of dread. There's this dark storm front rolling in, and if you can't deliver, something ominous and terrible is going to happen. 
and you can cure that background radiation of anxiety and disappointment by just distracting yourself, right? Doing literally anything except writing, which instead is the one thing that reminds you of the dread and brings those bad outcomes into sharp focus. So in this case, you're away from motivation, just drives you away from writing. Similarly, the best ways you, you can maintain the pleasant feelings produced by imagining an incredible future in which you've written your book, the best way you can uh, feel that towards motivation is, again, to avoid writing, which seems paradoxical yet horribly familiar, right? Because if you're anything like me, when you actually sit down to write, you face challenges, setbacks. You write a sentence and it doesn't quite sound right. As the scene continues, you're not sure it's engaging. There's all this possibility and uncertainty. The process of writing is full of threats to the pleasurable fantasy of being a successful author with a great book. And look, I'm not calling you egotistical or immature or even unrealistic for having that dream. Who wouldn't want to have written a bestseller loved by hundreds of thousands of readers? I, I know I do. Who wouldn't enjoy having a thousand people listen as you share your arch thoughts on your life as a writer? I'm doing that right now. I'm not saying don't fantasise because it's silly or frivolous or a moral failing. It's, it's none of those things. Life can be tough and sad and scary and it's natural to want to escape that. And fantasising is quick and it's free. It doesn't cost anything in this increasingly expensive world. It's, it's actually a very elegant, efficient solution. And completely rational. You're not stupid for doing it. Your brain has found the quickest route, given the towards motivation that you fed it with. The issue isn't that it's wrong on a on a moral or ethical or it's a character failing. The issue is it's not a good motivator towards your proximate goal, which is to sit down and write something today. Neither the towards or away from strategies we've talked about, neither of them are good motivators. And it is bloody hard work maintaining a sense of low-level terror mixed with buoyant hope while trying to write a great novel. It's like trying to make a fried egg sandwich for a slavering troll in the next room who will give you a magic wishing crown if you do a good job and eat you if you fail. Who could blame you for delaying getting started under those circumstances? Four. Aim low. Think you can do 2,000 words in a day? Aim for 1,000. Think you can do 1,000? Aim for 500. Give yourself some easy wins. For the love of God, give yourself some easy wins. You know, as a warm-up, when you sit down, you could maybe give yourself a really straightforward list or a brainstorming task, like name your protagonist's grandparents and make up jobs they had, or list your protagonist's five favourite films, five favourite biscuits. Describe something they believed in when they were little that they no longer believe. List 10 alternative titles for your novel. If your character lives on a street, name their next door neighbours. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Just create. Let it be non-canon if you want and see what comes out. And if you find you're consistently not hitting the targets you set, don't castigate yourself. Lower the targets. A target is your employee, not your boss. Either it's successfully motivating you or it's not doing its job. And of course, if you're enjoying yourself and you happen to overproduce, that's great. 
but it's not necessary and it's not expected and you shouldn't make it the standard. Don't make a rod for your own back. It will not motivate you. What we want are small, immediate goals. Five, start. No effort is wasted. Nothing is lost. I caught myself slowing down this weekend because I was working on an early scene in the new novel I'm writing and I spent ages describing this little clockwork contraption the main character, Merrin, is playing with, with his sisters. And as I did, I started to get this feeling like, I'm not sure we need to know all this. All the detail is overbalancing the scene because the clockwork thing, which I called a gearling, does become significant later it's sort of reincorporated later on but you're not supposed to realize yet originally in the first draft I wrote it was it was just an instant detail and I've started fleshing it out and so all this lavish description slows the story down and it also tips the reader off in a way that probably spoils the surprise you know and except that we don't know why we're being told it yet so it's just this weird detail that's delaying the story oh no and I noticed as I started to think these things, that my writing was starting to slow down as these thoughts went round and round in my head. And I wondered whether I should just restart the scene or switch to a new draft. And I I found myself checking Facebook more and more and losing focus. So here's the thing. My instincts on that scene may very well be right. But I bet that some of that lavish description I've used could come in handy later on when the gearling actually takes on more significance. So for now, I might as well just go on ahead, write the scene, and not worry. That's not to say I have to ignore the thoughts I'm having. I can add a marginal note saying, too long, cut this, so I remember when I'm redrafting, or too long, move to later on. Something like that. Look, a first draft is partially a process of discovering your fictional world. And for true discovery to take place, you have to wander off track. You can't just stick to the road, right? The tasks of exploration and discovery are incompatible with the goals of economy, subtlety and focus, all of which are great qualities for a novel to have. And that is fine. I'm here to tell you that's fine. Except that your first draft is not... It's not a story and it's not a novel in the conventional sense. It's a big, rambling plan and brainstorm because people will say oh just get your first draft done just get it done it's not that easy when you're doing it it's not that easy to spend months just like staggering through this wasteland of bad stuff that you know because you're a skilled artist who's read novels and know what a good novel looks like it's not that easy just to keep pushing yourself forward it's, it's certainly not motivating and so what I'm saying is I'm explaining to you and I think it's really important for you to get a handle on this Your first draft is not a novel in the conventional sense. It is a big canvas where you get to stray and discover your world and build stuff up. And it's it's a it's a big hopper full of it's a big silo full of all the different characters and parts of your world and possibilities for your story, for your fiction. It's not so don't write it as if there's someone looking over your shoulder, checking to see if it looks like a novel. If you're doing your job, it will not look like a proper novel. And that's fine. Postponing the first draft, those wanderings, those scenes that don't work, that's a great way to help you preserve the fantasy of your perfect, unbesmirched book. And by all means, do that if you like. But once you're ready, anytime, anytime at all, is the right time to start.
You don't need a big stretch of writing time free ahead of you. You don't need to be in a particular mind state or a particular location. You can be on the on the bus or waiting in the car as long as you've got something to write with. You don't need to psych yourself up and be in a flow state. And you don't need to worry about getting it wrong. You will get it wrong. Wrong is creativity, you know, like wrong is originality. Wrong is a fertile junkyard loaded with spare parts you can use for your awesome trash bot. I, I remember hearing a talk by uh, um, Inspector Morse writer Colin Dexter who said that his formula for writing a story was to think of an everyday activity or action and think of a way it could go wrong. Wrong is the basis of a story. Wrong is conflict. Wrong is two incompatible worlds coming together to create a third. Wrong is the basis of everything that you'll do that's interesting. Don't worry about wrong. Here are your cheesy affirmations for getting through that. I can choose to start right now. I can always take one small step. I accept that writing is a process of discovery. None of those things are false. None of those things are wishful thinking. None of those things are anything but pure statements of fact and possibility. I can choose to start right now. I can always take one small step. I accept that writing is a process of discovery. Doesn't that feel nice? Six, be curious. The problem with those long-term motivators I talked about earlier is that they trigger your sense of threat, which puts your brain in survival mode. You're looking to preserve what you already have and protect your ego and protect yourself, which is antithetical to creativity. When you come to write, try to cultivate a feeling of gentle curiosity. Oh, What's going to happen today? I don't know. What will this character do? How will this sentence turn out? Might something happen I haven't thought of? Will I discover new ways to make the writing more compelling, more immediate, more vivid? When I take my daughter Suki to the park, I often have her on her little baby reins and she walks around finding stones and sticks and mud and picking things up and going, oh, and showing them to me. And she's free to be curious and go, here, that and things like that because she knows I'm there and she feels safe. Sometimes she'll just sort of turn around and have a little look to check I'm there, have a little smile and then go, oh, point in the dist into the distance and start wandering off. If you find approaching your work with genuine curiosity hard, it's probably because you don't feel safe, right? You're probably focused on not cocking up or looking silly rather than exploration. I'm saying to you now, it's okay. It's all right. You can sit down and work for 10 or 20 or 30 quality minutes and bring curiosity and fascination to the process. You can choose to start right now. Seven, keep notes. Make marginal notes. In Word, you can just use the comment function under the review tab with any worries, concerns, reminders for bits you have to research, etc. as you write. Sometimes you just, you can't think of a name for a character. Or if you're writing SF, you know, you, the, the perpetual thing is you have to come up with like the name for a concept or a brand or a, a mega corporation if you're writing cyberpunk and you kind of, you don't want, it's not always easy to do that. You can spend half an afternoon and it's better, I think, sometimes just to leave a blank and a marginal note saying fill this in later. 
And you can go and research things or look at other languages or other sources of inspiration for it. Writing a first draft is not about shutting down your critical voice at all. Discernment is a real quality. In fact, I'd say it's essential if you're going to write a non-shit novel. By listening to your misgivings or your stray blast of inspiration, you know, you might have ideas for six different novels, right? And noting them down, you can honour them without letting them derail you. If you don't want to write them as marginal notes, just uh, get a little scrapbook, a little exercise book. You can get one for like 99p from stationers or something and just note the stuff down there with page references this is particularly true if you find like i do that you get blasts of new ideas for completely different stories as soon as you start and try to commit to one i get this and i've been having it recently and it is tough and it's very beguiling and oh gosh because there's this allure to shifting into a new idea especially because I have this fantasy every time. It often happens when I start feeling stressed or unsure about the one I'm working on. And there's this fantasy that by switching, the new one will be perfect and easy. And it's this kind of, it's this very immature attitude. And I don't mean that as sort of being self-judgmental, but it is. It's this fantasy that I won't have to deal with the setbacks and challenges that are endemic to writing. And I can sort of believe that because I'm not actually working on the thing. So I can have an idealised version of it. And this is true of so many parts of our lives, right? Jobs, relationships, all those kind of things where you, um, you the grass being greener. And it, and it seems so obvious that sometimes we don't recognise it when it's actually happening in our lives. And setbacks and challenges, they are endemic to writing. In fact, they're most of writing, right? And it's okay. You you can you can deal with them. You will be able to deal with them. You can listen to the feedback you give yourself. You can note it down and you can move on so you get a fuller picture of the whole story. Just believe in yourself. Eight, go public. Tell people you're writing. Mention it on social media. Ask for accountability buddies. People who'll check in on you uh, via Facebook or WhatsApp to see how you're doing how you're getting on several studies suggest that going public with goals makes you more likely to achieve them but i think there's a like more simple force at play here right it's, it's nice to have the support of friends you're a human you're allowed that right writing is usually done alone let your friends and loved ones know that writing is something you're working on and something that you care about don't don't work on it with this sense of shame and embarrassment like a like a little little goblin building a golem out of flesh and tears in his little grim cave you know it's okay to to write to be to be to want to write you're not making any promise you don't have to be perfect at it or super productive you don't don't worry that you'll say i'm writing and then people will go oh you done your novel yet doesn't matter you can just say hey guys i'm working on my writing because it means a lot to me i've decided to give it give it a go I feel a bit nervous about it. So I just thought I'd tell you because you're my friends or whatever. However, whatever voice like suits you. But it's not self-indulgent or pretentious. It's nice. People who aren't interested just won't engage. Right. And other people will because your friends love you and they want to help you out. And you might inspire others to follow your lead. Nine, time travel. You don't have to write your novel in order. I'll repeat that for those in the cheap seats. You don't 
have to write your novel in order. In fact, there are many sound reasons not to. If you're stuck or bogged down or habitually avoiding the scene you're on, try jumping ahead a bit to where you're really excited about writing. Uh, you know, you may turn out you don't need the scene you're writing, having written one later on. Have a stab at doing the final climactic confrontation or just a, a, another random bit you can see clearly. Maybe write a potential last page. Remember, you're not laser etching these scenes into black marble. I expect each attempt will contain some shadow, some shard of the final version, but it probably won't be the final version. So it's good to get started, explore and see what arises because it will take time to brush away the dust and uncover the scene you want to write. And often by scrying on the future, you'll get visions that help you solve your problems in the narrative present. Not all time travel is good, though. Ten, let go of the past. You've made mistakes. You'll continue to make mistakes. Don't worry about missed opportunities or times when you didn't get round to writing or times when you feel like you are feckless or lazy or you weren't brave enough. You can't coast off your past successes and nor can you dwell on your past difficulties. Today is a new day. This hour is a new hour. And look, those are glib truisms. And I, I realise I've been slightly uh, more air-punchingly uh, motivating and hippie-ish than hopefully usual. But they're also facts, right? Like, none of this is false. You Today is a new day. Like, you can't... The, Stuff that's happened in the past is a sunk cost and it, sh it can't factor into your calculations for what's the best way to spend your time. Now, listen, you have control and agency and sovereignty right now and only right now. This is where you can make a difference. Regret and recrimination will never, ever earn you a better past. You can choose to start right now. You can always take one small step. You can accept that writing is a process of discovery. If you don't have something to write on, please pause the podcast and fetch a pen or laptop or your phone. Yes, it's that time. We're going to do 10 minutes together. I'm going to write with you. I've got my uh, notepad here. I've got a pen. Um, and I don't know what's going to come out. Uh, the only rules are no checking messages or social media. Keep writing. Uh, make it creative. If you feel that self-critical, judgmental voice getting louder in your head, by all means, notice it. Listen to the messages it's given you. They may be very valuable. And then choose to continue anyway. OK, so 10 minutes together. I'm going um, I'm going to set my phone alarm for 10 minutes. So it's going to go just to warn you, because a lot of people have told me they get they've nearly pooed themselves sometimes after my... Uh, my alarms go off um it's going to go off after 10 minutes um and apologies if i make weird involuntary noises when i'm writing just um ignore me uh i i, I sometimes don't realize the noises i'm making as i as i write and think about things and uh I'll, I'll try not to make them too gross okay so 10 minutes free writing are you ready go
And there we go. Oh. That's it. That's us done. Well done. Look at that, you did it. I don't know how it was for you, what thoughts went through your head, whether you're happy or frustrated with what you wrote, but you did it. I did it. We're in a better, more empowered place than we were ten minutes ago. And we always have that power to do something like that to get started. You can always get started. So remember, one, you're allowed to give up. Two, challenges, not obligations. Three, short-term goals, not long-term visions. Four, aim low. Five, start. Six, be curious. Seven, keep notes. Eight, go public. Nine, time travel. Ten, let go of the past. That's your 10-part first draft survival kit. Bookmark this episode, download it and return here whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, which may well be at some stage during every book you ever write. That's okay. Finding it hard isn't failing, but admitting you're finding it hard is definitely a great, great quality. If you enjoyed this episode, may I please ask you to share the arse off it. Subscribe to Death of a Thousand Cuts on SoundCloud and iTunes and please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. I'm a, I'm a really small fry podcaster. These things make a proportionally massive difference in terms of reaching new listeners. So I'm so appreciative if you'd be able to do that for me. Voting for the British Podcast Awards is open at the moment. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you'd consider voting for Death of a Thousand Cuts, it takes literally 60 seconds, and I'd sure appreciate it. Um, I feel a little bit ambivalent, because I'm aware that over 20,000 votes have been cast so far, so I suspect it will be tricky for a, a small podcast to make any sort of dent in their numbers, but the Listener's Choice Award is the only category you don't have to pay a sizable fee to enter, which is money I don't have. So, look... It would make a huge difference to our listening numbers. But on the other hand, I feel a bit ambivalent towards award culture in general in the arts. So if you vote, I'll be really, really grateful. But I realise asking makes me a massive hypocrite and it seems a bit crass as well. So there's that. Uh, very much appreciated. But uh, yeah, that's it. Um, of course, as always, I'm still an author. And if you find this podcast entertaining and useful, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy my novel, The Honours. I'll stick a link in the show notes. Being a writer is how I earn my living. It's how I feed my family. If you want to support me, buying my books is the best way. Finally, uh, I've got a coffee page set up. If you fancy chucking me a few bucks direct, again, there's a link in the show notes. That all goes towards hosting costs for my website and the podcast itself. My website's been going down every few weeks now, so I need to switch to a new host. Not intrinsically interesting for you to know that but it all costs money so please be assured all of you who've tossed me a bean or three uh, I deeply appreciate that I'm actually pretty wowed by it and you're lovely people thank you okay so take care my dear dear friend you're wonderful valuable and it's so great you showed up today well done you're doing the work good for you please remember what we've talked about and have a lovely week and I'll see you soon